Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. We'll learn more of why Illumination Entertainment is doing the Super Mario Brothers movie, a Willy Wonka reimagining, and a reboot of House Party. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. So guys, we we, we got a lot of news to get through, and uh, we're, we're going to try to do it in under 30 minutes. Um and see if we can do that. Uh, but let's first start off with um, a story, a sad story. Uh, an Oscar-nominated composer has died at the age of 48. Brad, you wrote this up over the weekend. Uh, yeah, this uh, came suddenly over the weekend. Um, really kind of tragic news. Uh, Johan Johansson, who is the Oscar-nominated and Golden Globe-winning composer of the score Arrival, uh, passed away at age 48 in Berlin over the weekend. Uh, at the time of his death, there wasn't any indication as to uh, what happened, how he died, or anything like that, but his death was confirmed by uh, both his management company and his own manager online. Um, this is a really you know tremendous loss because he had only re- just recently started gaining traction as a composer for films uh, pretty much within the past decade or so. Uh, he did a lot of work with uh, Denny Villeneuve, um, Prisoners, Sicario, and he also uh, the one that he got a Golden Globe for was for the Theory of Everything, and he had a very promising career ahead of him. It seemed like because the, uh, those scores are all tremendous. I actually just recently bought the Arrival score on vinyl, and uh, it's just really tragic, especially because he was so young, and you know it's it's always tough when you uh, lose someone who. Uh, in the industry that you respect so much and has such a tremendous talent. Yeah, it's it it uh it's shocking. I I was not expecting it. I'm, I'm a big fan of his. He just seemed like he was just getting started creating, you know, great soundtracks and it's a shame we're not going to get any more from him. I hope his uh he recorded a soundtrack for Mother that didn't get used. So I hope maybe someday that will get released so we can finally hear it. But yeah. Yeah, I was going to mention that. That I would be very interested to hear that, uh, especially you know, going off his other work. The, the the good news is, I guess you could say, is that uh, there are a couple scores that he did that have not yet been released that I believe were finished. Because uh, one of them is for Mandy, the Nicolas Cage 
uh, thriller that debuted at Sundance last month, and also Mary Magdalene, the uh, biblical drama starring Rooney Mara. Yes. So those are some things that we have to look forward to. Uh, but let's move on in the news to uh, some, something a little bit lighter. And that is Michael Fassbender is going to star in a feature length version of Kung Fury. Chris, you're at the sub for the site. Uh, why? Uh, well, I don't have an answer for that. Um, uh, everyone probably remembers Kung Fury. It was, you know, an Internet sensation. Uh, it was about a, a half hour long. It was funded by Kickstarter. It was meant to send up 80s action films. And now they're they're turning it into a feature. Um, the original story, they're calling it a sequel to the, the 30 minute film. But I feel like that's even stranger. I, I'm sure that it's just basically going to be a remake of the original that also is somehow a sequel. And for some reason, Michael Fassbender is acting in it and he's also producing it. So he really believes in this project and uh i don't know why we don't i don't i don't think this will turn out that well i mean the original kung fury at 30 minutes felt like he was pushing it honestly for time wise i can't picture this stretch to two hours but we'll see um last week during the super bowl they announced that uh cloverfield paradox was going to be released to netflix that night it was a big surprise now netflix is announcing that chris rock's a uh, new net, uh, stand-up special will be released on Netflix tomorrow. So they're announcing it the day before it hits the platform. Uh, Brad, what do we know? So um, Chris Rock struck a deal a little while back for two new stand-up specials, uh, each netting him $20 million from the streaming service. Uh, and we hadn't really heard about when they were going to be released. Uh, you know, Dave Chappelle had struck a similar deal with Netflix, and we've seen uh, even more than his original deal uh, was for stand-up specials to be released. Uh, so now Chris Rock is finally releasing his first stand-up special. Uh, they initially released a, a mysterious teaser video the weekend of the Super Bowl that was just called Tambourine, and all it did was ha- was featured several tambourines being played not really by anybody just kind of in the middle of you know black space um and then no one really knew what it was for or anything like that but today chris rock posted on twitter and instagram and all the regular social media channels uh the exact same teaser but this time it had uh his name attached to it and the title of it which is tambourine uh albeit misspelled from the usual spelling of tambourine not sure there's any significance to that um, so that will debut on Netflix tomorrow on Valentine's Day. Maybe give some couples who don't want to go out something to do at home. Okay. The, the most interesting part about this uh, to me is the surprise release thing because obviously Netflix did this with Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, they're doing it with this. Uh, they planned to do it with Punisher. They were going to you know do it after like this uh, panel at what New York Comic Con or something, um, but that didn't happen uh, in the wake of the shootings. Um, so I- I'm wondering guys is is this like a new thing for netflix that like is is um for these smaller film releases and these smaller specials like is it more is it a better idea for them to just you know be like it's coming out tomorrow and get the like this quick buzz instead of like doing a long build-up of marketing campaign chris do you have any thoughts i i really don't know it's it's very strange i can't figure out what what Netflix wants. I mean, to Netflix, it doesn't really matter. I don't think it matters what you're watching so much as 
as long as you're watching Netflix, because, you know, everything is under the Netflix banner. So, you know, as long as they have the subscribers, it almost seems like they don't even care about what content they have because they do a terrible job promoting their content to begin with. I mean, you know, there are really great movies on Netflix and they do a, a piss poor job selling. I mean, Mudbound is an Oscar nominated movie. They didn't really advertise that at all, which is just nuts to me. So I really don't know what Netflix's deal is, honestly, at this point. Yeah, even the projects they do advertise, I often go on my uh, Apple TV or Netflix app on my computer, and it will not be on that front page. Like I'm like, guys, it came out today. Why are you not like putting this on the front page? Um, but Brad, I- I'm curious what you think. Like in in this um, new era of you know direct to VOD, like do they need to advertise well in advance, or like is it just like you know we live in this uh, world of social media where you can just like be like surprise there's something awesome coming out tonight at midnight yeah i mean when it comes to programming on netflix the the whole idea especially when it's something that they own themselves and they've created themselves is that anybody can watch it at any time you know it's always going to be there so they're not really looking to rake in like immediate ratings the same way that you know like a tv network would for uh, a show's premiere or the way that a studio wants people in, you know, crowding theaters for opening weekend. All this stuff's going to be on Netflix, you know, essentially forever. So they don't really care when you watch it, just as long as you watch it at some point. And so, but they, you know, but they with, do want people talking about Netflix, and maybe oh, this yeah, gets well, people talking. Yeah for, yeah, for sure. And you know, so so like they'll be whenever they have a big thing that they want to release as a surprise. You know, we we obviously just wrote about it when it was announced today. A bunch of other uh, websites who cover entertainment and comedy did the exact same thing. So, you know, Netflix honestly doesn't need to do much to advertise themselves because everybody else is doing it for them. Um, I mean, and, and along with that, the whole, again, the whole idea of just people eventually coming around to it is like the, the people that are super excited about it will watch it right away. Other people will come around to it. Netflix gets their their monthly membership, and you know that's just how it goes. I th- and Netflix is getting to the point now where they have enough original content that I th- I don't think that they really need to make these huge pushes for individual movies or um, you know TV shows or comedy specials anymore. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that, you know, we all grew up in this time where, you know, we had TV guide and there's a schedule of when things were going to air and what was going to come out. And we, you know, we had the Entertainment Weekly, you know, fall preview issue where we'd look and see, you know, what new shows were coming out and stuff. I feel like now um, Netflix is building is starting to build this reputation of like you don't know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like you could turn it on one day and like, oh, my God, uh, you know, it's Valentine some Valentine's Day episode of Black Mirror came on. Do you know what I mean? Like. Like, and I think that probably adds to the excitement of that platform. So I, I'm excited uh, to see if they do more of that going forward, and uh, if that's a good strategy for them. Um, what one thing we were talking about uh, a few weeks ago was the Kitty Pride movie that was rumored to be in development. Uh, now that has been confirmed. Uh, Chris, we have new details. Tell us about them. Yes, like you said, uh, about a month ago, you know, a story broke that Tim Miller, the director of the first Deadpool was developing a Kitty Pride movie and now that's that's pretty much been confirmed um he's working on uh, a film currently named 143 with a uh, comic writer Brian Michael Bendis and uh, the story that it broke it was playing a little coy about what the film is but 
Um, there's an uncanny X-Men comic number 143. That's all about Kitty pride. It's, it's, it's like her first solo adventure. So it, it more than likely is a confirmation that this is indeed that film being developed right now for 20th century Fox. I mean, there's not a lot of details. There's no date. There's no casting yet, but, uh, it seems there Fox is definitely moving forward with this Kitty pride movie. Well, that's interesting. Um, another uh, project that's moving forward is the Five Nights at Freddy's movie, and they have landed Harry Potter director Chris Columbus. Uh, this one actually sounds more promising than it should. Brad, tell us about it. So for those who maybe don't know, Five Nights at Freddy's is this uh, video game that launched uh, on online and has become a huge mobile sensation. Uh, kids absolutely love it, even though it is a essentially a horror video game. That takes place at uh, an establishment called Freddy's that is a lot like Chuck E. Cheese, where they have these animatronic animals uh, who are characters that during the day, you know, celebrate birthdays with kids and goof around with them. But at night, they apparently are possessed and kill people and whatnot. So uh, obviously, studios are always interested in turning well-known intellectual property into a movie. That's exactly what they're doing. And uh, the property was originally at new line but now it went into turnaround and it's been picked up by bloom house so they're going to uh bring in chris columbus the director of harry potter and the sorcerer's stone and pixels to take a crack at making this work he's going to write uh produce and direct this adaptation uh so for me i i like the five nights at freddy's games they're really fun there's a lot of suspense to them there's a, probably a decent movie that could be mined from it i just don't know if chris columbus really has the skills uh anymore to do something like that uh we all know that he wrote gremlins you know back in the 80s but and, the and, 80s and were goonies a, and goonies but the, the 80s were a long time ago uh and his directing skills have left a lot to be desired uh recently i would say that the last decent movies he directed were the harry potter movies since then he's done pixels and rent and i love you beth cooper uh none of which really inspire all that much excitement or acclaim and I just don't know if he, you know, really has it in him to do anything exciting or good anymore. I mean, I guess there's always a chance that this could reinvigorate him and get him back to those, you know, days when he was writing Gremlins. Uh, but I just feel like this is going to be uh, a waste of a good, a good property. I mean, he hasn't written anything in like something like 15 years. And this is the guy that, you know, he was on a on a role. You know, he wrote Gremlins, Goonies, Young Sherlock Holmes. Um, Gremlins 2, okay, maybe not as good, but, um, nine months, uh, so he did a bunch of, uh, good movies, uh, from those, uh, those eras, and, um, I don't know, I, I, I definitely get a Gremlins vibe off of this property, I, I, I can definitely see what they're going for, and having this at Blumhouse is interesting, because maybe they're going lower budget with it, which could be interesting, I'd, I'd love to see, like, these guys actually not CG, and actually be, like, you know, animatronic, kind of uh, creatures and stuff like that, um, which I, I guess would probably go along with the, the, the story of this of this game. I've never played it, so I don't know. Um, but, Chris, any thoughts on Five Nights at Freddy's? I have no idea what this is. I guess I'm too old, but I've, I've actually never even heard of this property. So I uh, I abstain for now until I know more about the what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I, I didn't even know it was a game. I, I would go into like stores and see like these Five Nights at Freddy's uh, like figures and 
uh, T-shirts and stuff. I did. I, I I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like an animated show or something. Um, so it, I think it's probably going for an audience that's probably younger than us. But it it is horror, so they're probably gonna have to go R-rated, right, Brad? I sincerely doubt it. I think that no. they're they're no. There's I I really don't think they're gonna go R-rated for this. Um, especially just because. The game doesn't really have any blood or gore or anything like that. Oh yeah, they um, can get around it because it's like these creatures. Yeah, yeah. It's so I I I'm pretty sure, especially considering how lucrative this property is for kids when it comes to selling merchandise and stuff like that. I'm betting this will be a PG-13 movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but let's move on. Uh, talking about kid movies, uh, Peter Rabbit has caused some controversy uh, with a food allergy joke. Chris, why are people mad? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, I haven't seen Peter Rabbit, so I can't, uh, testify to this, you know, uh, entirely, but there is a scene in Peter Rabbit where Peter and his, you know, animal friends, they exploit a character's, uh, food allergy. He's allergic to blackberries and they take a blackberry and put it in a slingshot and shoot it into a character's mouth. And he apparently has a, uh, allergic reaction to this. And, uh, people are upset about this. People are issuing, you know, stern statements about how it's not, you know, funny to exploit an allergic uh, reaction like that. And Sony actually issued an apology. So there you have it. That's where we are right now. It, have we gone a step too ridiculous? I, I know a lot of people out there are. Um... I mean, yeah, I don't. I... I don't want to run the risk of being insensitive. I get it, especially, you know, if you're a parent and you have a kid who has, you know, a severe food allergy, I get it. But, you know, it's not a movie's job to parent your kids. Like, that's that's your job. You should be able to, like, the argument is, oh, a kid can see this and they can actually do it. They can, you know, shoot a blackberry into someone's mouth and have them. But, you know, you should be able to teach your kids that that's wrong. And also... You know, putting something in a movie doesn't equal, you know, it doesn't mean you're applauding it. Like, just because something happens in a movie, it doesn't mean you're supporting it. Like, it's just a scene, you know, just get over it. That's that's what I'm saying. Get over it. Brad, you're a resident comedy expert. So, uh, you know, where's the line in comedy that you draw? Is, is, is this too is this offensive? Should people be offended? First of all, I am of the mind that there is no line to draw when it comes to comedy. Uh, I, I mean, if if you're offended, sorry, but I don't care. Um, there, but it, even in a kids, is this rated G or PG? I'm not sure. But I think um, it's PG. But well, but here's the thing. From from what I understand, and if anybody's sensitive to spoilers for Peter Rabbit, first of all, God help you. But second of all. <laughs> Uh, this th- this point in the movie, uh, from what I understand, is kind of a turning point for Peter Rabbit as a character because what he does is wrong, and he has to come to terms with it. Like he realizes that he's gone too far and that he's being kind of a jerk about this situation. And so it's not as if they're, you know, bullying somebody and there's full support for it, and it's just a funny thing. Uh, it's a ter- it's meant to be a moment where Peter Rabbit kind of like has you know uh, a this realization that maybe he needs to chill out a bit and stop being, you know, giving McGregor such a hard time. So that's the whole point of that moment is it's not to make light of it or anything like that. It's, it's a, it's a piece of character development and those kinds of things happen in movies all the time without anyone thinking that, you know, certain bad decisions made by characters are being endorsed at all. I just think people just need to stop instantly complaining about things 
just because they, you know, seem to have an impact on, you know, whatever community they have. And it's just people just got to chill out. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine what kind of entertainment we would have if, you know, all the, you know, this complaint uh, outrage uh, society that we live in, if like, you know, all the studios listened to all that, it would be so lame and boring and uninteresting. And uh, I don't know, I haven't seen Peter Rabbit, but this just sounds uh, stupid to me. But um, but I'm sure some of you out there listening to this podcast will be offended by that. Um, but let's move on. Uh, a while back, we learned that Nintendo is teaming up with Illumination Entertainment, the people behind the Minions movies, for an animated Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, so the question a lot of people are wondering, why did Nintendo, after all these years, you know, they, they've been kind of prudish in their the rights of the Mario franchise and Zelda franchise. Why did they team uh, decide to team up with Illumination Entertainment out of everybody? Brad, what do we know? Uh, I mean, initially, the, the short answer is Synergy. Uh, Illumination Entertainment is based at Universal Pictures, and Nintendo had already started working with Universal because they're developing a Super Mario World theme park at the Universal Studios Japan location. So they already had a working relationship with Universal, um, but that's exactly how Nintendo got hooked up with Chris Melodandry, who is Illumination's CEO. And so after talking with Chris Melodandry... Um, Nintendo realized that they might be the uh, Illumination might be the best place in order to create a Mario uh, Brothers movie since the first time it happened, uh, which is a complete disaster back in the early '90s. Uh, yeah, but it, this one probably will have fart jokes, right? I mean, one hopes that they'll have you know the holy grail of humor, which is the fart joke. <laughs> um, is, is that the difference between Illumination Entertainment and Pixar fart jokes? I mean, I, I, that's not the only difference, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's whatever Chris Melodandry and Illumination um, talked with Nintendo about, uh, they seem to like uh, what they what they heard. Um, Shigeru uh, Miyamoto was talking about how that, you know, really they just like their approach to it and they've uh, already started talking about what they want to do. They've met a number of times to uh, hash out the screenplay, and they're still making progress on it. But he does uh, note that you know if they can't make something interesting, then they'll call it quits. So this is by no means something they're trying to force. It's something that if they can make it work, then they'll do it. But as of now, there's there's no guarantee it'll happen. But they're really trying to make it work. I'm I'm interested to see what they come up with because I feel like you know you could go to the basic Mario storyline, but there's not much there, and every Mario game has done something weird and new to that world. Um, how do you have any, do either of you guys have any idea of what, what the approach would be in making a Super Mario Brothers movie in animated form? Uh, I just hope they literally remake the live action one with Bob Hoskins. That's what I'm hoping. I want that but in but in animated form. <laughs> Brad, any thoughts? Um I would like to see them just do an adaptation of Dr. Mario where everyone just watches pills stream down the screen for an hour and a half. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> I wish they would make a Captain N the Game Master movie where like a guy actually gets sucked into the video games and he has to go through the different video game worlds. And it's kind of like I guess, I guess it's kind of like Wreck-It Ralph. Because you could do that mashup kind of thing with Wreck-It Or Jumanji. Jumanji, yeah. 
Yeah, I guess I guess I guess I'm just basically reiterating uh, projects that are already that have already happened. So, um, yes, let's move on. Speaking of projects that have already happened, they're making another Willy Wonka movie uh, from the director of Paddington. Chris, what do we know? Uh, Yeah. So in 2016, actually, there was a uh, a word going around that Warner Brothers wanted to make a Willy Wonka origin story, I guess, was the original idea. And then that's, you know, we haven't heard anything about that for a while. But now it's back in the news and uh, they've hired Paul King, the director of Paddington and Paddington 2, to helm the film. Um, I don't know if they're still going with the origin story idea. I mean, the same writer, Simon Rich, who also writes for Saturday Night Live, is still involved. So perhaps they are still going to go with the Willy Wonka origin story. But either way, they're making a new Willy Wonka film and they wanted to launch a Willy Wonka franchise because why not? And this is, um, you know, Tim Burton did a film a few years back, and I remember them promoting that, saying, like, you know, this is more like the book. You'll find out more about, like, you know, the origin of Willy Wonka. And I think, like, in the film, there's, like, maybe, like, a few minutes dedicated to that. We get to see him, how he got the Oompa Loompas, and one of his adventures wasn't very satisfying. I can't imagine that this is going to be satisfying. But, uh, Brad, do you think... There is enough in Willy Wonka to create the Willy Wonka cinematic universe. Uh, I mean, if there's one thing we learned from the Star Wars prequels, it's that finding out the origins of things that you love is always a good idea. So <laughs> um, I'm, I'm all about finding out how just how Willy Wonka came to love candy and how he got that awesome hat and that cool purple sport coat. How he um, invented the elevator. Yeah, exactly. How we, how we met Slugworth uh, and, you know, and, you know, concocted a scheme to trick kids and then you know make it seem like they were being murdered yeah i can't wait to see how that pans out i mean maybe it could be like the circuit wars where it's like willy wonka versus slugworth like in the war of the candy no okay okay honestly if that's the movie you just you just got my interest (laughs) uh We'll have to wait and see. I know, um, Chris, you ran this quote that I think we got, Angie Angie Han got from the producer a while back. Um, right. He, what, did, what did he say? Uh, he insisted it's not a remake. It's, uh, again, an origin story. Um, let's see here. He says, I think there's a lot in his character, him being Willy Wonka, that suggests who he is and also where he might come from and what his childhood or middle age might have been like. So we're exploring that. So there you go. <laughs> Middle-aged Willy Wonka is their hook here. I'm very excited. I just feel like the, the, the magic of the man that is Willy Wonka, well, first of all, it's Gene Wilder. Like, if you don't have Gene Wilder, you're, you're screwed. Um... But secondary, it's uh, it's in the mystery of who that man is. Like you kind of like, you know, when he goes to those gates and then does the somersault thing, like you you have no idea what this guy's going to do and or who he is. You know, he's such a um, enigma of a, you know, you know, he's he's finding out who he is. I feel like is going to be as detrimental to the Willy Wonka franchise as finding out who uh michael myers was to the you know the the um rob zombie halloween movies i feel like uh we we don't need that curtain um pulled away we like i feel like the 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 interesting part about willy wonka is we we really don't know what's going on there but um 
Hollywood has run out of ideas. They're doing sequels. They're doing prequels. They're doing reboots, reimaginings. And now we have word that they're doing a reboot of the House Party series coming from, of all people, LeBron James. Yeah, LeBron James, uh, as many people know, is a professional basketball player, but he has uh, since crossed over into entertainment. He had a key role in Trainwreck, uh, the Amy Schumer romantic comedy directed by Judd Apatow, and he was pretty hilarious in it. And uh, now he's getting into producing, since he's the one who is behind this House Party reboot uh, that is apparently something that people want or need. (laughs) Um, For those of you that don't know, House Party is this movie uh, from a while back, 1990, that starred Kid and Play, who were a hip-hop duo at the time, as a couple of high school kids who put on a big old house party. And it was successful enough that it spawned not one, but two sequels in 1991 and 1994. So apparently the time is ripe for another movie to come along where a couple of high school kids plan a big old party. Uh, I mean, we've seen this countless times before, but because... There's always a generation of high schoolers who love watching movies about getting away with big parties and, you know, drinking and and sex and all that jazz. It only makes sense that a movie like House Party will get rebooted, Um, especially now that Hollywood has seemingly caught on to the fact that uh, movies with predominantly African-American casts can do really well at the box office. Uh, I feel like we're going to see studios approaching some of these other movies from the 80s and 90s that had predominantly black casts and giving them the reboot treatment. Uh, House Party was one of those movies, and I could see it, you know, being successful uh, in uh, at the box office today. So we'll see how it turns out. There's no word on who's going to star in it or anything like that. Uh, what maybe it might be a couple rising stars, could be a couple uh, well-known people, um, but apparently the Drake might have a song on the soundtrack. So <laughs> neat. <laughs> Okay, so I guess my first question is, you know, if they're rebooting House Party, how does, you know, the 2010s, or I guess, you know, probably 2020 by the time this comes out, uh, change the dynamic of that, you know, story or those characters? Well, it'll the world will be a, a radiated nuclear wasteland by then, so uh, <laughs> the, that'll be a big twist. House Party in the in the wasteland. Um, I mean... <laughs> Maybe, uh, maybe it could be you know could follow uh, kid and play as uh, women. Maybe you know maybe we'll double down on not just having you know g- going for a movie with the black audience, but also going for the uh, the women lead uh, 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 gender bending uh, twist. Brad, any thoughts? Uh, I think that's a, uh, an interesting approach for sure. We've seen plenty of movies where uh, guys are the ones who get to have all the fun. Yeah, you know, Project X was a ex- prime example of. You know, a group of kids getting together and putting on a crazy party, albeit with the the found footage angle, mixing things up a bit. But uh, rarely uh, do we get to see women cutting loose in the same way. Thankfully, movies like uh, Bridesmaids and Girls Trip have started to change the game a little bit and let women have a little bit more irresponsible fun. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if they bring a couple of, uh, you know, um, comic actresses into this movie and can make it work that way, I would be interested. It's interesting too because uh, kidding play, kid and play came from music before uh, that movie, right? 
Am I, am yeah, I wrong? They were, yeah, they were they were a hip hop duo. So do, do do we expect? You mentioned Drake. Could, could he be? Well, I guess he's too old, right? Like, are they going to try to find someone from the music world to bring in to this film, or do you think that's not even in the plans? Um, I can't imagine it's their top priority unless you know there's you know somebody who immediately fits the bill of yeah. you know a uh, a duo that is already like an established rap group that can come in you know um I, you know maybe you could get chance the rapper to do it but he's already doing his own thing with movies uh so i mean yeah i mean i i i wouldn't bet on it but you never know well i think that does it for the news uh brad where can people find more of your work online always at the slash film.com you can also find me on twitter at ethan underscore anderton and check out my podcast go flix yourself on itunes and other podcasting platforms chris where can people find more of your work i'm also at slash film and i'm on twitter at c evangelist of 413 and you can find me on slash film at slash film on twitter you can find this podcast published almost every weekday uh, yesterday we had to take the day off because we had uh, some server issues that i had to deal with uh, but you can find it on itunes google play overcast all the popular podcast apps uh please uh subscribe to us follow us uh send an email to us at peter at slash film.com if you have a question comment concern uh please go rate and review the podcast on itunes spread the word tell your friends and we will see you tomorrow.